Lord, we do thank you for this night that you have given to us, Lord. And I do pray that as we look at the topic of the Holy Spirit, that you would just speak to us and draw us and open up our understanding just to realize how close you are to us, Lord. Through the scriptures, I pray that we would see the reality of that oneness that we have with you. Just make us more mindful of the Holy Spirit inside, dwelling in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking at the topic of the Spirit-filled life, God's power in you. And that is the Bible study from uh, Seeking Him. We're almost done with it. Next week, I think what I'm going to do is just have a discussion based on this topic. And then we'll do the, I'm going to skip over one of the chapters, which is on sexual purity. And we're going to do the last one. And then we'll take a break for about four weeks. So I did get a new Bible study. I'll bring it next week so you can see what I'm going to take us through. So I I think you're going to enjoy the the one that I, I purchased. So. This is directly from the Bible study, what I'm about to read. It says, whether you realize it or not, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in every dimension of your Christian life. From before the point of your conversion until you get to heaven. We were never intended to live our lives apart from him. In fact, we cannot live the Christian life apart from him. Christian maturity cannot be attained by trying harder or doing more. God does not dangle the prospect of an abundant life before us and then sets us loose in a maze to try to find our way through. Aren't you thankful for that? The Holy Spirit acts as our guide and our companion, the one sent from heaven to lead us home. Isn't that comforting? The one sent from heaven to lead us home. He enables us to obey God. He empowers us to become like Jesus. And he fills us with supernatural power for work and for witness. We should therefore learn how to listen to him, how to follow him, how to rely on his power, and how to walk in his fullness. So as I was meditating on just this whole week on the whole topic of the Holy Spirit, and then I think about Sunday, uh, we had a conversation, then the topic of the Holy Spirit came up. And I said, boy, the Lord is amazing how he arranges things and does things, you know, and I... I, if you have the Bible study, you'll notice I don't follow it to the T. I jump around, I add things to it, I take things out. Maybe I don't even do anything from it. I'll just develop something. So this was in the Bible study as well. I'm not sure if you have it on your handout. I don't think you do, but I'll have it on next week's handout. But I just want to touch on this topic because... um, it, it, we, it helps us to see how much we need the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this again is from the Bible. So this is like towards the end of the week. It says, our natural flesh 
with all its desires, thoughts, values, and behavior. It's twisted, corrupt, and opposed to God. How many here would say amen to that? Yeah. The Spirit of Christ living in us is in the process of transforming our desires into holy ones. Isn't that good news? Yeah. But our flesh is powerful, isn't it? It would rather thrive than die. So on the one hand, we feel the pull towards obedience and righteousness, right? We do want to do what God tells us to do, while also feeling the counter pull to appease our flesh with its cravings. How many of you experience that battle here every single day, right? It's a battle. So she gives this chart that I'm going to go through here. And again, we'll talk about it again next week. But she lists all the heart attitudes of the flesh. And as I was going through this, I was like, <laughs> you know how you're sitting, and all of a sudden you feel like it sinking, 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 sinking. Well, listen to her list of attitudes of the flesh, okay? And you have to check off which one you are. Gruff, abrasive, anxious, stern, irritable, unmoved, focused on self, impatient, bitter, easily hurt, scornful, jealous, demanding, proud, selfish, lazy, irresponsible, wants credit, enduring religion, critical, self-righteous, haughty, boastful, manipulative, loose tongue, judgmental, unfriendly, wants his own way, seeks his own pleasure and comfort, unforgiving, loves self and loves the worldly pleasures, gossip, stirs up strife, emotions controlled by circumstances. How'd you do? (laughs) I'm telling you. I was circling, I'm like... And I said, I'm not even going to ask my husband because I already see enough already. So now she goes to the heart attitudes of the spirit. Sweet spirit, pleasant, tender-hearted, kind, gentle, lowly in heart, sacrificial, servant's heart, enjoying Christ, faith as a delight, not a duty, poor in spirit, mourns with godly sorrow, meek and yields rights, hungers and thirsts for righteousness, Merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, joy in the Lord. So if you had a balance scale, you know what a balance scale is, right? Which side are you leaning heavier on? To the left? And I don't mean politics for those that are listening to this (laughs) message. The left represents the works of the flesh, or maybe I, uh, yeah. <laughs> or on the right, the fruit of the spirit. Which, which way are you leaning heavier on? You know, if you see yourself leaning heavier on the works of the flesh, all that does is really show us how much we need the Holy Spirit, how much we need a greater infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing, and we have to get that out of our head, that if we see these things that are listed here about the works of the flesh, we got to get it out of our head that, oh, I'm so bad. God, God doesn't want anything with me. No. He wants us to see it. He wants us to repent, but then he wants to fill us. 
with the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit can bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I mean, have you tried to bring forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? How long does it last? Right? In five minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, so we need a lasting work in our heart, right? Galatians 5.17 says, The desire of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And how many here know that's true? Right? We, we sense like our flesh, the pull of it is so strong at times. We, we say, we make commitments, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to look at that anymore. And then we find ourselves, right, yes. doing or looking or whatever we said we weren't going to do. But do you know that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than our flesh? I, I, I'm just praying, Lord, get this into us. Get this into us so it becomes our reality. Rome, and I say that because Romans 8.11 says, But if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How many remember the song by Jeremy Camp? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. He lives in us, right? Greater is he that is living in me. That's reality. We need to tap into this. We really need to tap into this. This is reality. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, by the end of this year, let us live in this mindset that we realize we have the Holy Spirit in us, the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead, lives in us. We don't have to be slaves to whatever that thing keeps dragging us and pulling us around, the chains. The ultimate battle, really, between the flesh and the spirit, what do you think it is? Who wants to be in control? I do. And then Jesus says, I do. <laughs> I, no, I do. Let me have control. No, I want control. And it's like back and forth. But the Holy Spirit helps us to put our fleshly passions and desires to death. And we've tasted of that at times, haven't we? Where we really are crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. And there's really no desire for that thing, whatever is the thing that easily ensnares us. Living under the Holy Spirit's control is the only way to live in truly victoriously, especially in this life that we're living in. So to go back to the balancing scale, if you're leaning too much on one side or the other, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. God knew all about the dilemma. He lived here, right? Jesus was here. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And we can see why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And that word, to be filled with the Spirit, means play roll low. I hope I'm saying it right. It means to make replete, to make full, to fill up, to fill to the full, to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberty, 
to render full, to complete, to fill to the top, so that nothing shall be wanting to fill to full measure, fill to the brim, to consummate, to make complete in every particular, in every particular to every, to render perfect. Excuse me, to carry through to the end, to accomplish, to carry out, to carry into effect, to bring to realization, to be obeyed as it should be. And God's promises that were given to the prophet to receive fulfillment. So that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just allowing the Holy Spirit to live his life through us. Whose life? The life of Jesus. To live through us. We're just a vessel. We're just a tent. Remember Paul said that. We're just a tent. And if you remember, um, Paul talked about it, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. He doesn't dwell in a building. He lives in us. He lives in, here we go again. He lives in us. I should have took that song to play also. But Andrew Murray saying, being filled with the Spirit is simply this. Having my whole nature yielded to his power. When you hear that, is there something in you that says, yes, I want that. Yes, I want that. <laughs> when the whole soul is yielded to the Holy Spirit, God himself will fill it, Andrew Murray said. So it's surrender. Just surrender. Just keep surrendering and keep surrendering and keep surrendering. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. That's the ESV version. You always hear, let's walk in the Spirit. But I like the ESV, keep in step with the Spirit. So that's telling me, okay, we're walking together. And the verb there, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word, it means a military march in regular line like a soldier does, to keep in step with, to walk and to direct one's life to live. That's what it means to walk. So when you think about that, isn't that how Jesus walked here on earth? He said, me and the Father are one. I don't say anything. I don't do anything unless the Father wants me to say or do. He was totally <coughs> yielded, totally in control. The Holy Spirit totally controlled him. And we could say, yeah, but he was Jesus. Yeah, but we're followers of Christ. We're his disciples. And if you remember, I mean, Jesus told his disciples, it was evident of this in John 5, 19. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. But whatever he does, the son does in like manner. That's, that was pretty something that Jesus could say that. You know what I mean? I mean, he was in step. What we read that term, that military term with the father. He marched according to the Father's orders. The Spirit-filled life is a life of absolute, unconditional, unquestioning obedience to God. Wow. And you wonder sometimes, why isn't the Spirit controlling me in the way that He wants to have that access in my heart? Well, am I questioning God all the time? I mean, because this quote, the spirit-filled life is a life of absolute, unconditional, unquestioning obedience to God. God, I'll do it. Yes, sir. 
Remember, military. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, how come I have to do this? Do we fight with him back and forth? I don't really feel like doing it. Or do we say, yes, sir? Yes, sir. Jesus knew how much we were going to need the helper. He knew how much his disciples were going to need the helper. In John 17, 37 through 39, and he promised to give the Holy Spirit to his disciples. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But when Jesus died and he was resurrected from the dead and went back to the Father, he told his disciples, we hear this all the time, to wait in the upper room, right? He was going to send the Holy Spirit to them. Did he keep his promise? Yeah, he did. He kept his promise. See, reality is we have help from heaven no matter what we go through. We're not alone. We are not alone. And we can't lose sight of that reality. He's there. But do we acknowledge him through the day? Do we acknowledge him? See, the disciples were sad. If you remember, they were sad when Jesus had told them that he would be leaving them soon. And I love how uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss worded this. She said he was departing not just to another place, but to the other side of eternity. I mean, think about that for a little while. It's like, wow. Wow. He's, he's in another time realm. And he had told them, he had told his disciples, right, that their lives would be extremely difficult being a follower of Christ because of their calling to be his disciples. And many people would hate them and reject them. How much more us today in our culture, right? So don't we need what they had to a greater measure to be full of the Spirit? But yet you see that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit, but yet they had their flesh, the apostles. They still had struggles with different things. But one thing that stands out, there was a boldness there to preach the gospel no matter what. They were willing to lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. So there was a boldness there. And you see, I need that boldness, especially in the state that I'm living in. So that should keep us before the Lord. Lord, I need a greater infilling. Help me not to fear man, but to fear you more. To proclaim the truth to people that are just one step, one step over eternity. I mean, perishing. See, the Lord knew that they were going to need this power in their lives. And he knows what we need. He said in John 16, verse 6 and 7, It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, he's called the helper, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then in John 14, 16 through 18, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he might abide with you forever. 
he might abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, for you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, the Amplified Version says. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us. We sing that song, I am not alone. We're not alone. We really are not alone. Even when you think you're alone, you're not alone. Because he's inside. He lives in us. Jesus promises disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, bereaved, and helpless. I will come back to you. And does he keep his promises? He said, in the same way you saw how I left, is the same way I'm coming back. (laughs) I can't wait. Keep your eye on the sky. I mean, the same way he said, you see me leaving, I'm coming back in the same way. I just went to go prepare a place for you. And when that place is ready, I'm coming back. When the Father says, it's time for me to come back and get you, I'm coming back for you. What is that going to be like? What's that going to be like? See, when Jesus left to go back to the Father, it wasn't his intent to leave his children alone. And he promised that he would send us the helper to help us to live in this world and not be of the world or part of the world, but to be a light, to shine the gospel but that he would be with us forever too. Didn't he say to his disciples, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, not even to the end of the age. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Never, never, never leave you. Especially those that are saying, man, Lord, I need more of you. You think he's going to turn a deaf ear to that? He's not. Lord, I see how wretched I am. It's worse than what I see, in fact. When I go through the list, I'm like, I see what I'm like, Lord. But I need your Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life in a greater way. So he prunes and he prunes and he prunes to bring forth that fruit. So reality is the Holy Spirit is our constant helper and he's our companion in life. Even if we lost our spouse, he is our companion in life. Even if our spouse, if Jesus comes to take us home, we're not leaving our spouse alone. He's got the helper. And he will be his companion in life. 1 Corinthians 3.16 from the Amplified Bible The Apostle Paul said, do you not know and understand that you, you, put your name in there, me, the church, you are the church, not a building. You are a church. You are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells permanently in you collectively, altogether, and individually. 1 Peter 2, verse 5 in the ESV says, You yourselves 
like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. They're acceptable to God because we've all put our faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. So Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, reality is, God is with us. He's with his children. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And you know how we self-talk to ourselves throughout the day? Well, we could turn that around and talk to him. We could talk to him inside. Because he lives in you. You don't have to wait to get to church to talk to him. You can talk to him wherever you are. In the car, in Walmart, just like we self-talk in our head, you know, in our mind, we can be talking to him. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I don't know what to say to this person, but you do. You do. Jesus, right now, I'm so angry, but I'm asking you to subdue me inside. Subdue me inside, Lord. And he does. Jesus, help me to hold my tongue. You see how I want to say something so bad. But help me hold my tongue. And he does. Jesus, you know I want to just let it all out. But you hear the Holy Spirit saying, don't say nothing. Be silent. You don't have to win this fight. Let it go. Okay, Lord. Okay. We have the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's our helper. He helps us. The parakletos is the word for helper. One who's called to another side to be an advocate, an intercessor, and a counselor. And we need that in our lives, right? We need an advocate. We need an intercessor. Because we don't know how to pray like we're supposed to pray, but he knows what to pray and how to pray. And, and we need a counselor. He's the best counselor ever, the Holy Spirit. The same word is occasionally translated comforter in the New Testament. So why do we need the Holy Spirit in our lives? Galatians 5, 16 through 25 tells us if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill or gratify the lust or desires of the flesh. So we already saw that other scripture verse, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So to walk is to make one's way progress, to make due use of opportunities. There's a situation, let's say, 
situation comes your way at that moment, I can either respond in the flesh or I can let the Holy Spirit just subdue me and let his spirit come forth. Every opportunity is a choice. I can either choose to respond right now or just inside, you know, talking to the Holy Spirit, help me, Lord. Just help me right now. Is it necessary what I want to say? Is it kind? Is it true? Then I probably should just keep my mouth shut. And when I blow it, on the other hand, when I open my mouth too quick and speak, am I willing to go back and say, oh, I was wrong? The Holy Spirit convicted me of what I said. I should have kept my mouth shut. Or I said too much. I try to remember Proverbs that says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. And that is so true. The more we talk, the more we're going to cross over a line that is like, why did I say that? I said too much. But you learn. It's in those times you learn how to be subdued by the Holy Spirit. To let him have his way in your heart and through your mouth, really. So when we blow it, it's a good opportunity, Lord, just control me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit in a greater way. So next time what comes out of my mouth is you. Wisdom that comes from above. Your wisdom that comes forth. There's a quote by Octavius Winslow that says, Not a step can a believer advance without the Spirit. Not a victory can he achieve without the Spirit. Not a moment can he exist without the Spirit. As he needed him at first, so he will need him all through his journey. And I added in parentheses there, in this life. Because we're going to need the Holy Spirit till we see Jesus face to face. We're just going to need him. It's not a one-time thing. It's just not a one-time thing. That Yeah, we're saved. He gives us the Holy Spirit. But then he's, we're growing in sanctification. And that's what you see. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, this we've been parking on Ezekiel 36 for a couple of months. Verse 27 he said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So the Holy Spirit helps us to be obedient to the Father's will. And again, we saw Jesus live that out before us. So we know that it's, a poss- it's possible when we're totally yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we will be modeling what Jesus lived out here on planet Earth to other people to those that are in sin or, or need a touch from God or whatever it might be, will be obedient to do the Father's will. When he says, I want you to go and pray for that person or I want you to go and tell them about me. They don't even know about me. Tell them. Tell them about me. John fourteen twenty six and John 16, verse 13 and 14, we read there again, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. 
However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And how many times have you seen that in your life, where the Holy Spirit does that very thing? I see it a lot in counseling. I mean, I see it a lot in counseling, where the Holy Spirit just giving me scriptures or parables or examples in counseling sessions. I've just just seen it. He does bring it back to your remembrance. But also to tell you things to come. He does prepare us for the future. If we have ears to hear, we can see where the ship is heading. We can see where it's heading. Acts 1 verse 8, I already touched on this. Says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit helps us to be a true witness for Christ. Wherever we are, wherever He's placed us, He's placed all of us here in Dryridge, Kentucky. <laughs> you can probably say, like I do sometimes. How did I get here? (laughs) How did I get here? But this is obviously where he wants us to be a witness for him. Right in this little area here. And every now and then he might send you someplace else to be a witness. Romans 5 verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So for those of us that feels I don't have love for so-and-so, it's there. Because just the saying, the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. And there's love there. The love of God is in our hearts. We just don't let him come out. But it's there. Remember, we have to die. The Holy Spirit helps us to die to our desires and passions and what we want. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Thank God he helps us in our weakness. I can't tell you how many times he's helped me in my weakness where I thought this whole way I could do this, Lord, the way I'm feeling right now. And he's like, just go and have, have I ever failed you? No, you haven't. He helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. How many times you might sit in your prayer time and say, Lord, I don't know what to pray anymore for this person. I feel like I prayed everything I know to pray. But then all of a sudden it's like you start groaning and you're wailing for that individual. There's not even words. That's the Holy Spirit through you, praying to the Father only what the Father knows what is coming out at that moment. Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we need his power. First Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, verse 11 there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. 
But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And we heard this recently in a Sunday sermon. How the, God determines what giftings he gives to different ones in the body, but the purpose is to edify the body. To, sorry, to build up the body so we will become complete in him. We would grow up and not stay as infants. I mean, Heidi, how would you feel if your sweet little daughter was 35 years old and she still needed the bottle and diapers? She's smiling. She's like, not me. <laughs> right? I mean, we got to grow up. She's growing up. Yeah, you. <laughs> she looks at me like Ember. Ember, she's like, <laughs> yeah, you're growing up, right? Yeah. She's saying no. <laughs> I'm staying little for the rest of my life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? This comes from the Bible study. I think it came from the Bible study. It might have came from uh, another source. It says, the one who's walking in the spirit will be a lover. Okay, I'm going to start all over. What is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? The one who's walking in the spirit will be loving of others in obedience to his will. They will be a peacemaker in obedience to his will and his law. They will put others first in obedience to his will and his law. They will fulfill the law without even thinking about it at times because the fruit of the Spirit just comes out of their lives naturally. And hopefully we all see this in our lives. Maybe not consistently like we would like to see it, but we do see evidence that, yeah, the Spirit is he's there. I just need to let him come out a little more. And stop fighting him and resisting him. But he's definitely there. Because I see this in my life. However, like I said earlier, after we become born again, we're in the process of sanctification. And we've studied this in other Bible studies. The process where we're becoming more and more like Christ. And that's going to continue until we see him. We won't, when we see him, we'll be like him. It's not going to happen on this side of eternity where we're going to be like sinless perfection. That's a false teaching that's in the church and it needs to be exposed for what it is because it's a false teaching. Sinless perfection is when we go be with him. We're not going to have the flesh anymore. Hallelujah. This thing will be gone. So all the groanings we do and the crying we do that, God, please, I just want to be like you. We're finally going to be like him. That's wonderful. <laughs> Sanctification is a progressive work of God that he does in our lives, and he knows how to do it. He brings trials. He brings people that rub us the wrong way, maybe rebellious children or a husband that doesn't want anything to do with you, and you feel like you're just roommates under the roof. He'll use everything to do a work of sanctification in your heart to make you more like Christ. I think I share this with you. 
early on with Jeff when he was in his sin the first three years of our marriage. In the beginning, it was like, Lord, change him, change him, change him. And one day in my prayer time, the Lord was like, you know, he may never change, but I'm more interested in changing you. Me? <laughs> that was a shock to me. Me? I need to change too? Yeah, you do. It's like, okay, so this isn't about him, it's about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So sanctification frees us from sin's control to make us more like Christ. To love as he would love unconditionally. With all the spots and blemishes and flaws, just like he loves us. He loves us with all the spots and blemishes and flaws. Being filled with the Spirit is, okay, now this is like, because sometimes we hear being filled with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. It's so much more than that. As you're seeing from the study, and that's why I wanted to touch on all these scriptures, because it's more than just speaking in tongues. Being filled with the Spirit is not some sort of mystical experience reserved for certain Christians who are especially privileged or extra special. It involves confessing any and all unknown sin, walking in moment-by-moment obedience to his leadership, and relying on him to live his life through us. That comes from Galatians 2.20. As we are filled with the Spirit, his supernatural power will be released in us and through our lives, granting victory over sin and our flesh, producing in us the heart and the character of Christ, and empowering us for effective witness and service. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And if we're filled in the Spirit, how that flushes out in our daily life. She's a trooper. She'll get back up and just keep going. That's how we have to be with the Lord. <laughs> just get back up and keep going. So what does walking by the Spirit look like in our daily life? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us when he has said to be filled with the Spirit and not drunk with wine. In our public worship, Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, what does being filled with the Spirit look like, Samantha? Say it loud so we can get you on tape. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing and make make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does being filled with the Spirit in our daily life look like in our relationship with other believers? Brenda. Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What about in our marriage? Sarah. Why? Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does being filled with the Spirit look like, Diane, in parent-child relationships from Ephesians 6, 1-4? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
what is filled with the Spirit look like in the workplace? Cindy, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Teresa, what is spilled at the Spirit look like in our spiritual warfare? Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So that's what walking by the Spirit looks like in our daily life. Very practical. It's not this mystical thing. It's practical. It's, am I going to be obedient to God when it comes to public worship, when it comes to relationship with other believers, in my marriage relationship, in parent-child relationships, in the workplace, and in warfare? I mean, am I going to do what the Word of God tells me to do here? If we're full of the Holy Spirit and wanting to be obedient to Him, we will be doing these things. Every day. And when we fall short of the glory of God, we'll be quick to repent. Because can the Holy Spirit be grieved? Yes, he can. Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So every time we say yes to our flesh in this way and no to God, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And we give our flesh greater control. But each, with each act of obedience, every time we say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done, I'm willing to humble myself and receive your word with meekness and do what you're telling me to do here. Every time we're obedient and surrender to God, it puts us more fully under the control of the Holy Spirit and releases this power in our lives. And we need that. We need that, especially in the days we're living in. So the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be quenched, as we see in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And the Holy Spirit can be resisted in Acts 7, verse 51. We read, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. This was uh, Peter. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did so, so do you. Man, that was pretty bold for him to say that to the Jewish people <laughs> after the day of Pentecost. But he had that boldness 
to proclaim the truth no matter what, knowing he would be dragged off into jail. Him, Peter and Paul both in jail because of the truth. We need the Holy Spirit in that way. We can't back down. This is not the time to back down from speaking truth. We have to speak the truth. So Romans 8.16 is so encouraging because the Apostle Paul wrote, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And have you had that happen? Where the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. He's your Abba Father. He speaks to you as Abba Father, right? Through the word, through a sermon, through another brother or sister maybe. Well, then I want to encourage you with this. I read this the other day. It's from Spurgeon. Listen to what he says here. You are Christ. You are his by donation. For the Father gave you to the Son. His by his purchase of blood. For he paid the price for your redemption. His by dedication. For you have consecrated yourself to him. His by relationship. For you were named by his name and made one of his brethren and joint heirs. Labor practically to show the world that you are his servant, the friend, and the bride of Jesus. When tempted to sin, reply, I cannot do this great witness, wickedness, for I am Christ. Immoral principles forbid the friend of Christ to sin. When wealth is before you to be won by sin, say that you are Christ and touch it not. Are you exposed to difficulties and dangers? Stand fast in the evil day, remembering that you are Christ. Are you placed where others are sitting down idly, doing nothing? Rise to the work with all your power, and when the sweat stains your, upon your brow, and you are, are tempted to loiter, cry, No, I cannot stop, for I am Christ. If I were not purchased by blood, I might be like Ishakar, crouching between two burdens, but I am Christ and I cannot loiter. When the siren song of pleasure would tempt you from the path of right, reply, your music cannot charm me. I am Christ. When the cause of God invites you, give your goods and yourself away, for you are Christ. Never contradict your profession. Be ever one of those whose manners of Christian, whose manners are Christian, whose speech is like Jesus, whose conduct and conversation are so reminiscent of heaven that all who see you may know that you are the saviors, recognizing in you his speeches of love and his countenance of holiness. I am a Roman was of old a reason for integrity, far more than let your argument for holiness be. I am Christ. And you can say that because you have the Holy Spirit in you who will help you, who will help me to live as Christ lives here on this earth. To live as his disciples lived here on the earth. And so many others that have gone before us. So many others that have gone before us. The heroes of faith. So Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, my sisters, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And you can do this because you are Christ. You've dedicated your life to him. You do it every day, right? Every day, Jesus, here I am again. I'm yours. Help me to put the world behind me and the cross before me to just keep marching, keep marching to that finish line. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to help me to get to the other side. He's going to help me to get to the other side because I'm totally depending on you. I am not depending on myself because I see where self will take me every time. But if I'm clinging to you, you're going to make sure I make it over that finish line. So, Lord, I'm so thankful that your words are true. And I just pray that you would bring us to a greater awareness of this reality that you are living in us, that we are your temple of the Holy Spirit. Help us not to grieve the Holy Spirit by what we say, by attitudes in our heart that are right. Lord, to not resist the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just yield and surrender to you more and more inside so that you can reveal your glory through these clay vessels and we can be the fragrance of Jesus wherever we go. Lord, I pray that. Please help us, especially at home with the the kids, the husband, the grandkids, whoever, Lord, the neighbors, the co-workers, when we go to Walmart, when we go to the post office, I pray that the fragrance of Christ will continually be manifested in our lives as we yield and surrender to you inside and and speak with you and, and, and ask for your help, Lord. I pray that we would really know that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is, is truly living in us. Make that more of a reality. Lord, I pray that we would live in that reality, God. Only you can open us up to that truth, Lord. And I, I pray that you would do something in us that we would be more mindful of your presence in that way. That is what we mean when we talk about your presence. Your presence is in us. And wherever we go, we take your presence with us, Lord. So make us more mindful of that than the other things we're more mindful of. I'm just trusting you to do what I'm, I'm asking for. All of these ladies, those listening online, and even in my own life, Lord. And I thank you because we know that your word does not return void. So we trust you for this year. We trust you for this year that by the end of the year, this is going to become a greater reality in all of our lives, that we're not alone. You're with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.